0: Hello there. This week on the podcast, I am talking with writer and author Brad Stolberg about his new book, Master of Change. Uh, This is a fantastic book. Um, Well, I found it very, I found it a very good book. I also found it painful in that it reminded me of the last four years that um, I and we all have been living through. Um, So, apparently, as humans, we are very resistant to change. And the more we get to realize that everything is going to change and everything does change, eh, the less it hurts. Anyway, this is a this is a really good book on how to go with the flow and um, learn to control the things you can and learn how to recognize the things you can. not Anyway, fantastic book. Uh, I hope you'll buy it and read it and I hope you'll listen to the podcast. Now, before we go to the show, a word from our sponsors. And our sponsor this week is OSIonline.com. So, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a daily movement routine, um, and you can think of it a couple of different ways. But if you have a daily movement routine, you actually have a daily healthcare plan, and it's not just for your body. Um, it's having a daily movement routine is like having a daily emotional lift and a daily mental um, rejuvenation. In other words, like moving every day can help renew your mind, and it can help uh, it can help soothe your heart. So it's so important to have a daily movement routine. And if you don't have one, if you go down to OSIonline.com and invest for just $21 into the Daily 21s program, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. It's not a big investment, but the the return on that investment being your life, your health, um, and how you feel, uh, well, it's worth $21. Times a million. Anyway, guys, head on down to OSIonline.com, check out the Daily 21s program, and now back to the show. Pull up a chair and buckle up. It's the Original Strength Podcast. Well, here we go. Brad, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, you have written your newest book, The Master of Change. Uh, and I got to tell you, personally, I like it and I don't like it at the same time because it was painful. <laughs> Uh-oh. No, it was great. But like, so I'm sure I needed it. Um, but it, it just reminded me of the COVID years. (laughs) Like, not that we're completely out of the COVID years, but like, I just found it so neat that, you know how you only have your perspective, right? Um, But your book is full of stories of people that were going through the exact same things that I was, which means everybody was all going through the exact same things. And it was just, it was painful at the time. Um, And you helped me understand why because I was resisting <laughs> everything that was happening. So so thank you for writing Master of Change. I just wish I had had it uh, like three years ago instead of just now.
1: That's right. You know, you are not alone. Um, me and everyone else and really the the kernel of the idea that eventually became the book um, was in 2021 at the beginning of the year. So really in the thick of the pandemic, we'd been living with COVID for almost a year And I just remember all of these newspaper headlines that were written in the spirit of what do we need to do for things to get back to normal? Or when are things going to get back to normal? And there was something about that back to normal phrasing that really threw me for a loop. And I went into Google and I just said, why do we try to get back to normal change? That was like my search query. And out of that eventually came this book. Wow. No. It,
0: and I, I think that's the thing, right? Like, like we are so, especially me, I mean, I, I guess I'm, other people are the same way. I, I, I don't, everything changes around us and we know it does, but I, I want to resist it so often, so hard sometimes. Um, And, and that does cause a lot of my issues or my pain or my suffering. And your book was so pointed with that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's the result of a long-standing bias against change that traces itself back hundreds of years to a concept that many are familiar with called homeostasis. And homeostasis essentially describes change as a pattern of order or stability, then disorder or chaos, and then back to order or stability. That's where these headlines, when are we going to get back to normal, come from. And homeostasis says that the way to achieve stability is by staying the same and therefore change is threatening, change is bad. We should avoid change. We should push back against change. We should resist change. And for the longest time, really, since the beginning of empirical science, homeostasis was the model that we had to think about change. That shifted recently and really just the last decade or so the research community stepped back and said, actually, homeostasis isn't the best fit model for thinking about change and for navigating change, nor is it the most beneficial. And they've come up with an alternative that is called allostasis, which describes change as a cycle of order, disorder, reorder. So it acknowledges that people like stability, organizations like stability, but that stability is a moving target and it's constantly recreating itself somewhere new. And the old model of change says that change is something that happens to you. The new model of change says that change is something that we're always in conversation with. So we're always going through cycles of order, disorder, reorder, and we're always somewhere in that cycle. And I think a big part of what threw so many for a loop during the thick of the pandemic was when we entered that disorder phase, We really wanted to get back to order instead of realizing that there was no going back to order there was going to be a reorder and we could have some agency in shaping what that looked like for us at least in our personal lives and our in our businesses and our communities um but there was no going back to before and um that is really no one's fault per se again homeostasis like everyone's heard of homeostasis no one's heard of allostasis and a big part of what I'm trying to do in the first part of this book is just help people recognize that homeostasis is really outdated. It's it's not the best model for thinking about change.
0: So you you introduce another term in the book that really resonated with me um, because I know it, I know it's right. Rugged flexibility.
1: Yeah, um, that's is, right. What is,
0: what is rugged flex? I know
1: it's right. Can you
0: explain rugged flexibility?
1: So I spent a couple of years researching and reporting on people and organizations that really thrive and achieve excellence over the long haul. And that means during periods of uncertainty and change. So if we can first accept that life is an ongoing continuous cycles of order, disorder, reorder. Well, then the next question is, all right, how do I navigate those cycles? And that's what my research and reporting was, was really the question I wanted to answer. And what I found was somewhat paradoxical. The people that did this best, they were really determined and tough and gritty and strong. So they were very rugged, yet they were also very adaptable and soft and supple and willing to bend without breaking. So they were also very flexible. And we think of these two terms, rugged and flexible, as being diametrically opposed. You're either rugged or flexible. Right. Yet, where my research and reporting took me is that to withstand change, we need to be both rugged and flexible.
0: Uh, you no, know, and yeah, you know, like I said, that really, really resonated. Um, and and what's funny is, is like it's all about adapting, right? Um, I think it's coming to peace though with with the things that are happening around you so that you can adapt to them instead of like rigidly trying to hold on to something. Um, But I think the rugged flexibility, like so being able to move with what's happening, but also being mentally rugged enough to say, hey, I'm gonna get through the other side of this.
1: That's right, this is who I am because it's a game of adaptation, yet you don't wanna adapt so much that you lose who you are. So the ruggedness is also holding on to your core values or the attributes, the characteristics that are really important to you, that make you who you are. And then the flexibility is being able to apply those in a multitude of ways over the course of your life in different environmental circumstances. So you can think of the sources of ruggedness as, again, the the essential qualities that make you who you are and then the flexibility is, well, how do you apply those over time? Early on in the book, I introduced this framework, the difference between a having orientation and a being orientation. And Eric Fromm coined this in the 20th century, and I've tried to build on it in this book. A having orientation, you define yourself by the things that you have. So I have this home, I have this business, I have this body, I have this deadlift PR, I have this child, I have this partner, I have this car, I have this watch, on and on and on. And that inherently makes you a little bit fragile because all the things that you have can be taken away and they're going to change. The house is gonna get outdated. The body is going to age. The deadlift isn't always gonna be as sharp as it once was. The kids might move out of the house. And if you define yourself by these things that you have, then when they change, you're gonna wonder, "Well, well, who am I? It's a very fragile place to be. Whereas a being orientation, tries to get a couple layers deeper and says, why do I want to be a parent? Why do I want to be in a relationship with my spouse? Why do I aspire towards greatness in the things that I do? And you get down to these like fundamental attributes of what make you who you are, like your essential qualities, your being. And when you define yourself by those, those can't be taken away from you. Regardless of all the change around you, those are yours. And I think that when we define ourselves by what we have, again, and change comes and disrupts what we have, it really throws us for a loop. Whereas if we can define ourselves by our being qualities, by our essential sources of ruggedness, it makes us more resilient. Right on. Um, along those
0: lines, you had you you offer some really good tools to help people master change, and one of them was like really getting coming to grips with your core values. Um, so how, how can a person's core values help them navigate through the changes that they're going through?
1: Right. I define core values as the qualities or characteristics or attributes that are most important to you that are your guiding fundamental principles. So some examples could be creativity, wisdom, kindness, community, family, compassion, spirituality, health, fitness, uh, it doesn't matter what they are, right? There's a infinite possibilities. When you have these core values and everything around you is uncertain or changing, you can go back to your values and you can ask yourself, well, what would the healthy thing be to do? What would the creative thing be to do? What would wisdom look like in this situation? So you can use your core values in a way as a compass to help you navigate into the unknown. Do you think about that cycle of order, disorder, reorder? Well, when you're in the disorder phase, and there's a lack of stability. If you know your core values, you at least have that to keep you stable. And you can at least fall back on those core values. In um, a business context, it's so helpful to say, well, what are the core values of this business? What am I really trying to do here? And then from there, figure out how to navigate whatever chaos or uncertainty or change has been thrown your way.
0: Uh, um, I'm so I, I, I have a uh, movement education company, um, and I'm often telling people that it's one thing to try to approach the mind with the mind, like change your mind with your mind, but it's sometimes often easier to change your mind with action or movement. And and you actually wrote about that. So how can, how can action create traction for someone um, when they're trying to get through a challenging change?
1: Yeah, we are kindred spirits on this. So um, in the research community, the term is behavioral activation, and it essentially says that you can't think yourself into a new way of being, but you can act yourself into a new way of being. Um, I like to shorthand it by saying you don't need to feel motivated or good to get going, but if you get going, you often give yourself a chance to feel good or motivated. So, this is really about just getting going, showing up, starting to act in alignment with your values. Um, In the midst of change, especially big, significant, perhaps more negative changes, it can be really overwhelming and there can be a tendency to just want to shut down. And I think what a daily movement practice does, now we're talking about physical movement, is it helps you activate. And it's predictable, it's something that you can do and it gives you a chance to feel better. Um, Very oftentimes, people don't wanna start their workout, but they're really glad when they're 80% of the way through it and they feel much better after. And as you all know, it doesn't mean that if you get your movement practice in, you're automatically gonna feel better, you're automatically gonna have the answers to your questions, but at least it gives you a chance. And the research shows that behaviorally, um, there's nothing better than physical movement in terms of attempting to change how you're feeling. Uh, So again, how does this play out in times of change? Well, let's go back to a significant change like the pandemic or a less significant change, or perhaps it's more, but a more personal one, I should say, Um, having a new kid, getting married, really positive, not so positive, going through a divorce, having your kids move out of the house. Well, if you can have some sort of movement practice, even if it's really condensed, just 10 minutes a day, Those 10 minutes are yours, they're predictable, and they give you a chance to feel some sense of stability and to feel good and to feel motivated when you're done. Not before, but when you're done doing them. The most important thing that I did for both of my young kids when they were infants, like really in the early days, was I told my wife, like, I can be here 23-37, but not 24-7, because I need a half an hour. And even if that half an hour is just walking around the block, or when she gave birth and she had a C-section, like, you know, obviously she was stable, but it's just I just need to go for 30 minutes and just walk some laps around the hospital. Um, and that did so much to help ground me in an otherwise really chaotic time.
0: No, I totally get it. I when when my children were born, being able to exercise was was my I guess therapy. <laughs> like it helped me, it helped me with the stress of being a new dad and like getting up in the middle of the night and making sure they were still breathing when they were. T- yeah. You know.
1: And I think it's just, again, and, and I'm using that as an example because, um, cause I have kids, but it, it doesn't just have to be having kids. It can be any anytime that life feels complex or overwhelming or uncertain. Um, you likely won't feel like getting started on the things that are important to you. And that might include your physical fitness. And rather than judge yourself or try to hype yourself up and get amped up, what I have found and what the research shows is really effective is just being kind to yourself and realizing that, Hey, I don't really feel like getting going right now, but I'm just going to get started anyways. I'm going to take those feelings along for the ride and maybe it'll turn around. I'm just going to do the first 10 minutes of the workout and I can always quit after that in 95% of the time, you're going to finish the workout and feel better after,
0: um, again, I think. Master of Change is a, is a needed book. I think it's a great book um, because the reality is, is everything always changes and you actually have a stat. How many significant life events does a person go through in throughout a lifetime?
1: Yeah, the average is 36.
0: That's, that's a lot.
1: It's about, <laughs> it's about one every 18 months. And it gets back to this, this radical shift I'm trying to propose here where change is not the exception. It's the rule. Yes. Um, we are always in conversation with with change and even if you were to live in a bubble completely isolated from the whole world you would still be aging and that is a change that no one can escape yet we often try so hard to resist it um, to pretend it's not happening and we suffer a lot when we have like a really combative relationship with aging um versus accepting that aging is a part of life and doing what we can to take care of ourselves and to maintain as much function as possible um but also recognizing that there's a lot of wisdom with age, so perhaps your body can't do what it could do when it was twenty five at seventy um but you gain a lot of psychological fortitude and wisdom in in and those are really important things too
0: awesome so i want i think everybody should read the book if you're if it, if you're able to. If somebody's struggling with change right now, what would be like Brad's top tip to help somebody?
1: Can I give a couple? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the first is to try to separate what you can control about the situation from what you can't. And mm. then do everything you can to focus on what you can control. Um, this falls in line with what I call responding, not reacting. So reacting is like really emotionally hot and instinctive and almost automatic and responding is slow. It's deliberate. It's thoughtful. And we tend to make better decisions when we respond to the changes in our life versus when we react. So just stepping back and saying, Hey, I'm undergoing a big change. It feels really hard. Let me think about what can I control? What can't I, and then how can I focus on what I can? So that'd be my first tip. My second tip would be this notion of behavioral activation that we talked about. So going back to your core values and saying, hey, everything around me might feel like it's swirling out of control. Yet yeah, I know I have these core values. So if my core values, let's pretend someone's core values are health, family and creativity. well you can ask yourself, given the situation, what would it look like to be as healthy as possible? What would health be? Would it be doing a 30-minute walk? Would it be trying to eat home-cooked meals? It doesn't matter what, but just knowing your value and trying to practice it, then doing the same for your other values. So having a sense of your core values and then using them to help navigate uncertainty. And then the final thing would be to realize that after disorder, there always comes reorder. And when you're in the thick of disorder, it feels really hard. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like it's going to last forever. Our brain plays all kinds of tricks on us. It slows our perception of time down, but when we eventually work our way out of disorder, there will be reorder. And it won't be the same as it was before, it'll be different, but the research shows, and I've certainly found this in my own reporting, that when we undergo these big cycles of order, disorder, reorder, we tend to come out the other side a little bit wiser, stronger, more resilient, more compassionate for others and for ourselves. That's awesome.
0: And if you're listening, the takeaway is reorder
1: always comes. Yep. And you just got to be patient and keep showing up um, because Whoa. when you're in the middle <laughs> of disorder, your your brain plays tricks on you and it can tell you this is all consuming and it's going to be like this forever or I'm never going to find stability again. And um, that's just your brain doing what what it does. It's trying to, to act as almost a, a weird survival mechanism. Um, but if you can take some consolation and say, I just need to keep showing up, I just need to keep acting on my values. If it really gets overwhelming, I need to go seek help. But if I get through this, there will be reorder on the other side. And generally, there'll be some meaning and growth as well.
0: And that is worth the price of admission right there. Be patient and keep showing up. And that's so hopeful. Like, like so no matter what you're going through, you will get to the other side. That is, that's powerful. Um, Brad, where can people, where would you like people to check out The Master of Change? and Or your other books as well.
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So Master of Change is available wherever you get books. So it can be Amazon, Barnes and Noble, bookshop.org. It's on audio. It's an ebook. So all the different formats. Um, And you can learn more about me on my website, which is simply my name, www.bradstahlberg.com. And then the social media channel that I am most active on these days is Instagram where my handle is also my name at Brad Stahlberg.
0: I will put those in the notes of the show uh, for people to easily access. Do you have time for one more question? I do. Do you like peanut butter? I do, why do you ask? I'd like to, I just like to know. Um, (laughs) Does anyone say (laughs) no? Some, once in a while, yes. (laughs) And I never yeah. ask them back I on guess the show. If, you if have, they say no, they're not coming back.
1: <laughs> I guess if you have an allergy, perhaps, but um, it's tough to beat peanut butter. Just last night, I was actually dipping dry Chex Mix cereal in crunchy peanut butter. Oh, that sounds um, good. Just as like a little <laughs> late night snack. And I'll tell you, it wasn't the Chex Mix. It was the peanut butter that made it good. Um, so then
0: you like yeah. crunchy then? That's my next question would be so
1: my, I think my, my, my favorite peanut butter would be crunchy and the kind where like there's still a little bit of oil in it all right. and like you got to like stir it and mix it and it's got like all that well some would say it's bad fat i don't really buy that i think it's good fat it's got all that yummy like uh a fat in there and it's crunchy so yeah that that would probably be my favorite kind of peanut butter i mean i you said you you've got kids is that right i yes so one of one of the underrated joys of having kids is, you know, I was like a, a a fairly high functioning adult, and peanut butter and jelly is just not a part of life for most fairly high functioning adults. And then you have kids, and boom, P- PB and J is back in the rotation, <laughs> and I have rediscovered PB and J, and I am loving it.
0: No, it's great, and like, and after you make their 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 lunch for school, you get to lick off the knife and everything else. I mean.
1: We're on yep. the same page, brother. My son will not eat the crust, but there's like enough peanut butter where I cut the crust and then you get the, it's, it's all good. The no, joys I, of parenting.
0: Yes, yes. So, and now now I know that you like peanut butter where you're welcome back on the show
1: anytime you want to come back. Master of Change brought to you by uh, Jiffy Peanut Butter.
0: There you go. <laughs> Choosy moms, choose Jiff. Um, Brad, yeah, this has been so great. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for listening, everyone. Now get outside and play.